Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello everybody, welcome to the Football Ramble Mailbag. It's Saturday 2nd of December. I'm Marcus Speller. I'm Jim Campbell. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm Vedushan Ahantharaja. Welcome one and all. It's good to have you with us. It's Saturday. Saturday morning. Oh my goodness, it's fresh. Isn't it fresh, everybody? (laughs) Bloody fresh. Um, A reminder before we get stuck into your questions that if you want to get involved on the mailbag, you can tweet us on X at Football Ramble. Message us on Instagram at Football Ramble. And of course, you can email us, show at footballramble.com. Very straightforward. We want to hear your questions. Thank you so much for everybody, uh, to everybody who, who got involved, of course. Um, let's get straight to it then. Jim, you've got the first question. I do, and it's from Jordan Beck. Now, Jordan says, with the Premier League being so known globally, is there a feeling from English fans that fans from other countries, air quotes, aren't true fans. I live in America and have been a Spurs fan for 15 years now. Never been to a match or seen the team in person, but feel just as connected as if I lived there. Mm. Since I started watching Fulham just a few years ago, yeah, we all think they're not true fans. <laughs> it's a really, inter- it's a really inter- Next. Yeah. It's a really interesting question. I think, I think the reason it's so interesting is because this speaks to mm. um, a really modern dilemma yes. in football fandom generally, I think, because... And so we thank Jordan for sending the question in, of course, mm. first and foremost. But 
the the nature of fandom has changed unimaginably, yeah. say, since the Premier League started and became so successful. But I'd also argue... You don't have to go back to the sort of 70s and 80s. No. Um, but I would also argue that it's changed um, since we've started doing this show. Yeah. So yeah. 15 years or so. And the reason for that, I think, is because of the access to information and entertainment and games and goals and all the rest of it related to clubs. So the biggest change that's affected the ability for people in other countries to support a team is the available access to effectively information about that team. And I'm not saying that's my answer, but I'm just trying to further framing it Mm. as to why this now comes up. Because I detect, I go to the US quite a lot, and I detect that when they speak to me about football without even knowing anything about the round, which is like, you're English, so you'll like football, um, and they start talking, there's almost like a a natural like, deferment to me and my experience yeah. and my knowledge because I'm British than they have. And, and what tends to happen yeah. is sometimes, usually keeping it to myself because it's embarrassing, mm. they know quite a lot more than I do yeah. <laughs> and take it quite a lot more seriously mm. than a lot of football fans you'll find in this country. So the question is what makes it valid and what, on the other side of it, invalidates it. And we, I think, need to update, generally, our attitude towards that to international fans. And that's before we even take into account people in the Far East, people in Africa, yeah. all the other places that perhaps we don't know as well. It's interesting you say that because you've, you've used America as the example. And that's well, the guy's American. The so, guy's yeah. American, so that, that makes sense. I can actually, when you, when you talk about the, um, the fandom sort of having changed and, and so on, I went to Kenya in 2009 now that is before a lot of the social media stuff that we see nowadays. Like re- really, before uh, everyone or, or a lot of people around the world have smartphones, um, and so on and so forth. And when I went there, the previous Champions League final, if if, if, if I've got my years correct, was Manchester United versus Chelsea in Moscow. Manchester United winning on penalties, the John Terry slip, the Anelka penalty save, etc. And I was talking football with with a number of uh, the, the Kenyans because they all love the Premier League. You know, it's such a huge thing. And one of the, the guys was saying to me, oh, he said, when Manchester United won that Champions League final, he said, you would think the Kenyan national team had just done something incredible. Right. People were out in the streets celebrating. And I found that remarkable. Yeah. I, it really hit me around the chops um, just how big the Premier League is. As I say, this is way before or at the internet as we know it now. Of course, the internet was there, but this is like way before like, mm-hmm. so many people got access. I can't stress that enough. And I thought, this is extraordinary. I'd, I'd been to um, Ghana a couple of years um, before as well, and, I, for, and that was during the Africa Cup of Nations. And I'd realised how big the Premier League was. I remember... Um, we, you know, we were involved in a number of sort of projects. And we went to a school and uh, you, you play with the kids and so on. And I, I was saying, "Oh, who are your favourite players?" And none of them would say the African players playing in the Premier League, like Essien and Drogba and so on. And little girl said Peter Crouch was her favourite player. <laughs> I thought that was great. And you saw some of the kids, and you you realise this. And 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 of course, you know that's that's what they watched. But when I went to Kenya with that experience, that that Manchester United are supported that much. Yeah. How on earth can you say to those Kenyans, yeah, but you're not true fans, are you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, and, and, but the, the, the question is, um, is there a sentiment from yeah. English fans that fans from other countries aren't true fans? Well, yes, 100%. Like, without, Particularly towards Americans, I would say. Um, but no, but anyone, like um, uh, Indian Premier League fans, like sort of, um, South Asian Premier League fans, um, yeah, even little things like my dad is a big Liverpool supporter, um, but he... <laughs> You know, whenever people talk about that, I'm like, oh, you know, he used to listen to them in 
uh, on the radio in Sri Lanka. And I was like, oh, yeah, because they were doing really well. And even little things like that, it gets kind of cut away bit by bit. But yeah, no, w- without doubt, like people look down on overseas fans of, of Premier League teams, despite the fact that it's marketed in a certain way and that clearly it's such an entertaining product that like, why wouldn't you get into it? Especially for the reasons you've just put across there about African players, people who look like you or mm-hmm. represent your country playing in that league. It's a very, very exciting thing. And I think football globally has that appeal that we don't really see over here because it's such a big deal over here. So like, you know, even just riffing off your example there in Kenya, Bangladesh was completely shut down when Argentina won the, won the um, World Cup because everyone in Bangladesh are huge Argentina fans. Mm. You grew up in Bangladesh as a, as a fan of the Argentinian football team. Huh. Is, is it's that, huge. I didn't that know that. predate Messi's um, it's Maradona. stardom? Right, so yeah. since then they've, yeah. they've stayed it's with the national team. Yeah, that's like, fascinating. To the extent that there's like an anti-Brazilian sentiment as well. That wow. Is, that is amazing. Yeah, but, but that's, just, that's just the nature of football, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so I, I also think there's um, a lot of the ill-feeling to overseas fans is often made worse by the way clubs operate in particular. Like you, if you think about the globalization of the Premier League itself and the way it tries to pander to other markets, whether it's by changing um, kickoff times or, you know, overseas tours and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. The, this idea of the 39th game mm-hmm. yeah. is to basically access that new market and get as, and squeeze as much money well, a lot as of possible. The, a lot of the, the top Premier League clubs' commercial decisions now are basically international audience first, right? Yeah, which yeah. is basically what you're saying. Well, it's a huge marketplace that they're competing in, right? So, so, so that's that's a kind of an interesting because because you end up basically pitting your like quote unquote traditional fans, i.e., the fans who go to games, as it were, mm-hmm. against yeah. that global fan base. Yeah. Well, well this is a, a big, big part of of the issue, isn't it? And this is where it stems from, and it, this. To me, the issue, to go back to what you were talking about, Luke, comes from how much football fandom has changed. And if you go right back to it, the team nearest to you was full of players who probably mostly lived near you, yeah. were just a group of blokes from where yeah. you were from, so you would you would naturally support them. Mm-hmm. That has changed massively, yeah. massively over time. We're, we're now at a point where the people watching the game in the stadium are in, in a mm-hmm. minority, like yeah. in a huge, huge minority in mm-hmm. terms of the people watching the game and, yeah. and supporting that team. And it's just so far removed from that idea now that yeah. any team represents the place you live in even in terms of the personnel on the pitch, even if you live a stone's throw from the stadium, yeah. that it's a bit of an abstract idea now that, that locality means authenticity in some way, I think. But the, um, the locality issue has always been, the locality issue actually applies to this country as well. You know, I always found it, um, and I think we do need to update how we, how we um, assess that kind of stuff. I don't actually think it really matters beyond Jordan, the question answer, Oscar, his own personal relationship with Spurs is is his business, really. I mean, you're probably asking out of interest more than the fact that he cares what we think necessarily, (laughs) but it should be his relationship with the team should be how he sees it and that should be fine for him and he only really needs to satisfy himself. But in this country, there'll be people, I remember growing up, there'll be people who support, say, Manchester United Mm -hmm. and would really get involved with the Manchester United-Liverpool rivalry that they know nothing about. They know as little about that as an American pl- fan would, mm-hmm. because they never, pro- a lot of them never even been to that part of the country. Well, it's the sort of the tribal thing. This is what we do. I mean, th- I suppose you know, t- talking about my experiences in in Africa and whatnot, that made me realise that the Premier League was was hugely supported. And I think that when we say, because um, I think we've been a bit damning on English fans and saying, well, a, a, a lot of them do it. And you're right. I think that there is that feeling. And. I, 
that can be, you know, like at Stamford Bridge, for example. I know that some Chelsea fans moan that there's a lot of tourism there, and it's yeah. it can, it can same thing happening in Man City at the moment. Yeah, yeah. As, uh, happens at Spurs. As uh, well. It's happening at Arsenal at the moment as well. Yeah, it's I a, think there's, it, a, there's a lot of that. Um, but one of the things um, I, I, I recall, and it's a funny example to use, but but I think this is where it kind of started for me in my mind. There was a Guinness advert in the late night. I think it was about 1997, and they were, and it was reading off a lot of stats, and it starts, you know, the average cow passes enough wind in a week to inflate a hot air balloon. You know, 88 percent of clones never fall in love and all these sort of stats and there was one where they show scenes uh, or, or footage of people in I think it's India certainly in um, in South Asia and uh, 98% of Manchester United fans have never been to Old Trafford mm. and a lot of people that, and, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people went oh I believe that one because yeah, then, yeah. A, then a thing comes up I think it's a Vic Reeves quote 88.2% of statistics are made up on the spot it's quite a famous advert a lot of the Guinness adverts were I remember, um, yeah. back mm. then and a lot of people who weren't Manchester United fans started going oh yeah but, but I leave that one about Manchester United and yeah. it was a bit of a stick to beat them with and because they're successful well, because yeah. they were successful but of course if you're successful people start supporting you oh you're from Surrey are you oh well you probably support Manchester United there was yeah. all that kind of thing so it was always a bit of a stick to beat people with as time has progressed as I say, there are some examples over the years where some people go bloody hell these people are really really into it some people will then accept that depending, as I say, on how broad your horizons are, and other people's, other people will dismiss it, ignore it, and moan about it. Mm. And I think that that is it. You know, it's yeah. that's with the situation in England. So you're absolutely right to say that, yeah, some 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 English fans or people but, who but the, 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 are yeah. very disparaging and just, oh, pff, this is a load of nonsense. But I don't think it causes any tension in stadiums. But the cr- the cr- no, not inside a stadium, I wouldn't say. No, but, it, but, the, but relating to stadiums, I think it's something that is coming up more and more now. Um I'm forgetting his name, but the uh, the Newcastle owner um, who well, well, the previous one, no, no, the current oh, Newcastle the, the, owner, the Piff Posse, uh, yeah, so you know, a member of the Piss Posse, <laughs> Piss Posse, you can yeah. call them that, yeah, call them that. A, men, a member of the Piss Posse came <laughs> came out, you know, tweeted saying that they need better atmosphere in the ground and stuff like that. You need to back up team the way that yeah. they're backing you this that and the did other did he finish by going YA lads well what, one of the one of the first replies on that one of the most likely when I last looked was um, saying oh I saw loads of tourists in today and that's, yeah, that's yeah, ruining yeah. the atmosphere and, and I think I think there's an idea to, to drill down into the the kind of um, the thing Marcus was saying and I, and I think I'd also like to say to Jordan that like really the only thing that matters is your relationship with the club you support and how you how you choose to Know, carry that out. How yeah. you, you know, if, if you don't feel like you ever want to go to a game or mm. you don't want to travel three and a half thousand miles or whatever it is and you can't afford to do this, mm-hmm. that, that that shouldn't diminish your capacity as a fan because being a fan of a football team is really about how you feel and that's really your business. But the, the question itself about the aren't true fans thing, just to expand a bit on what Marcus was saying, is that we have to understand that the way football's gone, this kind of rapacious greed towards you know, understand they've got yeah. a really marketable, valuable product and they want to make as much money as they can out of it. And we talk about, quote-unquote, the Premier League. Well, the Premier League really is only the 20 owners of the clubs yeah. who are making these decisions mm. and they need a certain amount of them to make these decisions to go a certain way. And sometimes it gets kiboshed, like the Super League or whatever, by fans. But generally speaking, that's how it goes. You know, there is a feeling among fans, say, and they're called legacy fans in quite a disparaging, disparaging way, but there's certainly a feeling um, that this type of stuff almost takes the club away from those fans. Mm -hmm. Like they feel like almost a geographical shift to somewhere new, a whole new territory, obviously not literally, but metaphorically speaking. And it actually happened quite noticeably when the team I support were in the Premier League. Like when, when there were a lot of Portsmouth fans 
are obviously terrified about what's going to happen to the club because of the financial issues they were in. But there was a lot of Portsmouth fans who were relieved that they were no longer in the Premier League. Yeah, so so yeah. the price has come down a bit. They yep. get a little bit more access to their players. Mm-hmm. They feel more related to them. There's a there's a kind of understanding around the working class environment that Portsmouth is that, you know, now they're back being shit again mm-hmm. and our lives are a bit shit, but this is fun. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and all this stuff of international fans getting involved and not just the international fans getting involved, which of course is absolutely fine, but then the decision makers in the game pandering to those fans rather than their own fans because they can make more money because there's more of them yeah. only serves to, to foster resentment amongst local this, fans. Yeah, and totally. Yeah. And this is, the more successful you are, the more you gain in a lot of ways, but you do lose something. You know, it's, it's like your favourite band. I used to watch this a lot when it was 200 of us in a small ceiling yeah, yeah, club. Yeah. Oh, now look at us, we're in a stadium. But you, how many albums have you bought? Well, yeah, is, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. similar thing. That there's a lot of gatekeeping with it, right? And Gatekeeping's it's, it's absolutely right. comparable to music in particular mm. because fandom of anything... Um, but with football in particular, it, it's like a vampire bite. You know, you, like once you once you support your team, yeah. you really you really you can't help it. You don't have a choice in it. What's it's hell? Just, everything's dark. It's absolutely yeah. hellish. Yeah. yeah, everything burns. It's horrible. Nothing's got any taste anymore. All your kickoffs at night time. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on but, Christmas but, Day. But it is, isn't it? Even if you live, uh, you know, in, in, on a different continent, if you, I, I imagine, Jordan, the fact that you're asking this question at all means that you are passionately into Spurs mm. and and their trials and tribulations, and that you probably get up at all hours to watch well, it. It's, it's, it's fans in Australia have to do that. Very, very different type of fandom, but it's no less authentic. And I think that's the that's what's uh, at the essence of this quest- question, isn't it? It's the authenticity yeah. of fandom. And obviously it's different if you live around the corner and you're in the stadium because there is something to be said about the 12th man. that make, It genuinely makes a difference. Mm. If you are there shouting, it, it does help. Yeah. But I, I remember, I remember not that long ago, I remember possibly before we started doing this show, uh, maybe bleeding into it, and to a, a certain extent now... When I was growing up watching football, and if a game was on telly mm. and you talked about it, if someone was in the conversation who was at the game, yeah. their word was kind of yes. gospel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but, but the, I was at the game. Yeah. So I saw yeah. it. Yeah. You're but right. now You're there's right. so much analysis that I think that's what I mean when I say we have to kind of update what we talk about yeah. when we talk about people being quote unquote proper fans because there's so many different ways to consume it now. It might I suggest, though, and I, you know, I've only been to Anfield, I think, the once. I, I, from the outside looking at it, I could be totally wrong, so for, forgive me if there is a problem, but Liverpool seem to do this quite well. I think, I think part of that comes from the, the, the buy-in to when you go into Anfield is that you sing. Well, I think you know what to do. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. whereas yeah, I think that's I think it. It's, I actually think it's the same in Manchester United as well. Yeah, to a point. I, I do, I honestly think, I, I know people who, who have almost felt like They've gone to Manchester United for the first time. And Liverpool. I do actually physically know a couple of Liverpool fans with the same experience where you're almost preparing yourself for what's expected of you when you go yeah, well, you yeah. That may not be the case now, but I'm talking maybe 10 years you, ago. You've got to join in with the opening number. Yeah. Which is really powerful, yeah. no, right? You yeah. kind of know what to do. Like, yeah. There is a culture there which you can attach yourself to and you go, oh, I feel... But people should you know. But that's fine. But people shouldn't... I don't think these days, particularly, people should be able to say hmm. to someone like Jordan who for 15 years has you know, done whatever he's done and had this relationship with the club that he's got, yeah. oh, but that doesn't make you a proper fan. No, no, of he course, doesn't have the right to yeah, say but, that. But Vish, we talked about that earlier, it's, it's, yeah. it's nonsense. You the, know? The, one, one of the cool things that I get to do from going back to, going back to the US for Christmas every year is whenever there's you know, a decent game on that I want to watch, I'll look up either in New York or Philadelphia... Yeah. That fan group, yeah, and you always yeah, find yeah. it, and they you create their own. Find yeah. It. Yeah. yeah, they've created their own culture, yeah. which is one out of necessity due to the geography of where they are. The the, the 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 bars that you go into in New York City to watch certain big clubs, um, 
have their own culture and yeah. their own kind of history and the way they do yeah. things. And that's a good thing. That's a great thing. Mm. But they're not welcome at the grounds because they're tourists. <laughs> <laughs> Next email, Vic. Yeah. Well, I do think, well, just to sign off, I do think we should say that, like, the more people like Jordan, the better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we so, don't know Jordan. He might be a dickhead. Yeah, true enough. Finish, I was going to say you shouldn't. He shouldn't. can't be though because he's emailed yeah. into the football round. He's, he's yeah, a good friend, guy, though, isn't he? Nah. Sorry, Jordan. I take that back. <laughs> I did not mean it. Um, I've got an email from Goofy Goober. <laughs> um, if you're in charge of the Premier League, mm. what is the first rule change that you would implement? Um, uh, local tickets for local people. <laughs> You got. You got. You got to prove. You got to prove your local. You got to turn up with yeah. two utility bills. Jim does it. Jim, Jim does. Jim, and and um, a, a copy of a photo of you holding a newspaper from the eighties. Yeah. Um, Jim doesn't feel like a rivalry with Jordan because Jordan's not a proper Spurs fan. Well, exactly, yeah. Can I answer the question? Yeah. Very, very quick. I've got a semi-serious answer. Well, as you should. What I'd like to. Um, what I'd like to see happen is, is an extension of what um, friend of the ramble uh, Jonathan Wilson has said in the past. Yes. And he's made this point, and I can't remember exactly where he made it. It might have been in one of his very, very long uh, mm-hmm. articles mm-hmm. about the nature of transfers in football, about how it used to be when transfers were first introduced, um, you you used them as, to, as a way to kind of cover a gap you needed or to bring a player in that you particularly really wanted yeah. and all the rest of it. And it was mm. a supplementary thing to the club. Yeah, And um, now, of course... Teams go out and buy players all the time. Mm-hmm. Even you know, even a team in League One like the team I support, um, there's a massive turnover of players. Yeah. Like it's not, it's not, yeah. and a certain 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 reason for that is to do with E Triple P, which I've got to get into now. But but what I would like to see actually, and you'd never be able to do it, but you say you say it's a restriction of trade, and there's probably loads of laws that would be broken if you did it. But on the, on the other hand, the guy asking the question is called Goofy Goober, yep. so I don't think I need to answer it that seriously. Um, <laughs> I would I would impose some kind of limit on transfers you could do. So I think uh, what I would say is you get X amount per season and the rest you've really got to foster. Academy your, players and Yeah, stuff. you've got to foster your own players. do you not players. think that, I understand the point of that, but does, does that not just lock in every, the whole situation? Man City, look at the Man City Academy. They've got their, their players. That, they so, have, but so, they've only been able to do that because of E-Triple-P. Yeah. And I would get rid of that. Well, yeah. So, so the, the point, the, re- the reason that E-Triple-P, I wasn't going to get into it, but I will. Right. E-Triple-P is so disastrous for football because what it's removed by holding those clubs outside the Premier League to ransom over money they need because the football pyramid is so top-heavy that they rely upon that money from the Premier League, is it said to them, it does not matter how well you foster young players in the geographical area where your club is situated, mm-hmm. we will fucking take them yeah. and you can't stop us. Mm. So the reason Man City are in that position, mm. it does lock it in. You're right to say that. Mm. But the only reason it does lock it in is because Man City's academy hasn't just been finding players from two or three streets around no, fucking Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, They've been not. taking them from everywhere. Yeah. And before they weren't allowed to do that, it had to be within 90 okay. minutes of the club. So I would get rid of all that. I would limit the amount of transfers and I would start to um, encourage the idea that the fairness of competition means that if you work really hard in your local area and bring players through from there and start to you know really kind of position your club as as a team that can generate players through and and sustain themselves by that and keep the players that you want and sell the players on that you've developed as a profit the whole um football pyramid would be a lot more equal yeah anybody else so I've got a, a, a few suggestions. <laughs> Are these um, going to be undermining what I've just said? No, no, very, very okay. different. So okay. the, the, the biggest one for me that I'm finding increasingly frustrating... If you're not singing, as get time out. goes on. If you're not singing, get out. <laughs> Jim um, never sing. When you get out... No, that's true, I don't. Um, I'm just not a singy bloke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Offside, essentially. I would tweak the offside rule. Now, I'm not confident that we, this would change... Um, the, the, this would actually make things better. It might th- make things worse in a slightly different way or, or equally bad in a different way. But I do think the idea of the daylight rule should at least be explored because if you look at the Spurs-Villa game at the weekend, I think there were four disallowed goals in that game. Song Mike, got three of them. Yeah, Song got three. Um, Villa got one as well. There was a lot. I forget who. There was a lot. A few of them were, at least one of them was like definitely, definitely offside. A couple of them were so marginal that I don't think the attacker gained any advantage yeah. whatsoever. In terms of sporting merit of, of what is happening on the field, we lose so many goals to essentially what is a quirk of admin because the rule has to stop somewhere. It would change the game significantly. If you've got a head start on a defender, you're probably you know heavily, heavily favorited to score that goal but we want goals right that's mm. it's the best part of the game that goal would have been an that game would have been a banger it would have been just yeah. goal after goal after goal and it could very easily be like that yeah, if More any often, of the attacker's body is in line with the defender yeah. then they're on side yes that's not, what not, I, that's what not I would technically say a premier league decision Jim, to have that law so well, in charge right. of the PR, you'd have no but, power um, that whatsoever well i'm i'm making a breakaway league okay, that, that's my decision <laughs> i'm right, breaking right, away okay. from with everyone goofy else Goober. with goofy Goober. and i'm getting rid of indirect free kicks as well because they're boring and they're pointless yeah what's the point of not being able to shoot you'd be able to do what you want 
Tao has said, what's the best stadium atmosphere yeah. any of you have ever experienced live? And I think I'm going to come to Vish first because he didn't answer the last question. So yeah, Vish, he sapped off, didn't he? Watch, yeah, he, he didn't fancy it. Didn't have the bollocks. What's the best stadium atmosphere you've ever experienced live, Vish? Uh, God. Um, I'm, I'm really having to split this with... Because actually, it's a cricket match. Oh, which is, oh which, come on. Which is, not, yeah, genuinely. No, we're not yeah, having not that. A this true is fan. Having, this is clearly about football. I know, we're not, I know, I know. We'll just save that for when you do some cricket content and <laughs> yeah. stick to football, you maniac. <laughs> oh, mine's fucking Phil Collins at the O2. <laughs> <laughs> Who gives a fuck? Was, you've just taken Marcus. Stephen Gerrard over here. <laughs> yeah. Let's go, let's go to Marcus first. Yeah, well, one we were at recently. You have to say, Newcastle, when they beat PSG 4-1. That made was, my top three list. It was incredible. And another one that you and I were both at as well was England versus Denmark that in the Euro, in the Euro yeah. semi-final. You know, yeah. it, was, it was extraordinary. The Newcastle one was just, it was pumping. It was, it was like the whole city was there. And, and, you know, we talk about local football and international football. It felt like everyone, other than us, uh, we were the tourists, uh, yeah. in that stadium <laughs> were, were Geordies. Do you know what I mean? It was, yeah. it was, it was quite something. And the England-Denmark semi-final was incredible because to go to Wembley for an actual game of that magnitude yeah. was quite... So usually you go to qualifiers or friendlies and, and nowadays in qualifiers there's not a huge amount of jeopardy. There's not England are expected to win. Even if there is, it's still a qualifier. Right? Yeah, exactly. Well, actually, it's not the expectation because compare that to the final where obviously it kind of kicked off. The final people were nervy. The semi-final was like... We, I think we're going to win this, and and also lockdown as well. There was a celebratory atmosphere. We were all at that. It was it yeah, was something. Totally else. agree. Yeah. So so my answer is a week before that. Mm-hmm. I think might um, be two weeks if you're going to mention Scotland, England, Germany. Oh yeah, that was that was the that was the best atmosphere. Wow, I've I've, I've been at. What that a great was, thing to witness as well. Yeah, yeah were you in the press box? Yeah, were you? Yeah. Okay, That's and amazing. the stadium was was less full um, than the semi final. Officially, yeah, yeah, um, but, but, but the they'd open up a little bit, but it, it was that great thing of and only in hindsight because England ended up winning. But you know, when you go to a ground mm. and there's that 10 minutes before kickoff where you can feel everyone's nervous, yeah, and I think there's something to be said for that. I know it isn't always conducive to a good atmosphere, sure, but just the the wave of emotion all the way through. I still remember, and I know we I feel like we referenced this from that game more than anything during the Euros. It's Sterling giving the way, giving oh, the ball away, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Muller running through. Yeah. Just that entire sequence felt hands like, on his head, hands on his head. But the the entire sequence felt so long because I suppose how much ground that had to be made up, yeah. and it was almost like the gasp rippled through the stadium. Mm. Like a, a, as soon as Muller made you know ten yards, it would move on ten yards, yeah. and then the release when he missed was. Out of this world, <laughs> it was crazy. and there was that was the first time all the anxiety went away. Yeah, because it was like it's our day. If yeah, if he's not going to score that, we've got. And, and yeah. that's, I think what you're talking about there, because my, my three were were the two aforementioned games, the Denmark mm. game, which I was mm. behind the goal for, which is incredible, um, the, the Newcastle game, which I think a lot of people in hindsight kind of misunderstood, because that game itself wasn't about. Cause there was a lot of eye rolling about Newcastle beating PSG four one in that game itself. But people were kind of being a bit, oh yeah, well now they've got loads of money that is you know everyone's just fucking on board with them because because they're in the Champions League. And it wasn't that. What we were actually experiencing because we were there was this is the first home Champions League game Newcastle have had in twenty something years. Yeah. This is a massive occasion for the city who was crazy yeah. about football. And 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 what we're talking about because the other one I had was when Portsmouth beat Southampton one 0 at Fratton Park in two thousand four. <laughs> 
that was the first time Portsmouth had beaten Southampton since since 1988, and and only the second time since the 60s. Obviously, Fratton Park has a good atmosphere anyway, or it certainly did then. What you're talking about there is the ingredients you need. Mm. When you guys yeah. talked yeah, about yeah, all the yeah. atmospheres, it tends to be not just a game. Yes, it tends to be the atmosphere has to be expectation it's beforehand the, occasion, the right ingredients right. because if you go mm. to a game when it turns out to be an amazing game yes you can have a great atmosphere but that's really only for like the last half an hour yeah. you're talking about something where you've got a yeah. build up of a long time an amazing game that's actually delivers mm. Mm. and then the celebration afterwards yeah. the reason I maintain the atmosphere was probably better at the semi-final and the Euros for England against Denmark than it was going into the final mm-hmm. it's because after the game against Denmark Everyone's... you still have something to look forward to yeah, 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 yeah. an incredible amount of expectation of what coming, what's coming next yeah. but of course you wouldn't have had that um, at all with the final just as well we didn't win it well yeah Otherwise exactly it would have been a letdown we'll still be celebrating <laughs> now um, yeah. I mean, yeah but you're right though because if, if, if you're going to say well what, what then developed into a great atmosphere incredibly you know Craven Cottage you know when Fulham beat Juventus 4-1 I mean that must have been unreal well it was just it, people didn't know what to do with themselves you yeah know? so I, I've there's a few obviously I've considered as we all have Marcus you were present for two of them actually mm. one would have been the 2009 Champions League final in Rome at the yeah. Stadio Olimpico that you yeah. and I went to um, and part of that was actually the the context of the day where we went out that morning yeah. um, flew out flew out that morning obviously we didn't run um, <laughs> it was and, a show. you didn't no <laughs> we did later though because we nearly missed the bus home um, but the the whole city was alive with with Barcelona fans. Really, there was they mm. were so loud; they were everywhere. The Man United fans were a little bit less loud out and about. But then when we got into the stadium, they yeah. sort of gave as good as they got there. And the atmosphere lasted a, a day <laughs> in one of the finest cities on earth, yeah. which was a really really important thing about it. But it was so loud, and it mm. felt like a huge huge occasion. It felt like a, it did. A, a and there was also a sense, I think, even from some of the Man United fans, that we're watching one of the greatest teams yeah. in history here as well. Barcelona knew that. Was their, it was their time. Absolutely. Sort of I think the, the, the Champions League win a couple of seasons later was perhaps the crowning point of Pep's it Barcelona. Was, yeah. But that was fantastic as well. So there's probably some recency bias in here as well. Mm. But in terms of like an actual physical experience at a ground, it's mm. happened in the Man City game this season as well. But last season, the game at the Emirates where um, Arsenal beat Bournemouth with like the last kick of the game, mm. I... In celebrating, I basically semi-fainted with adrenaline. Like I had to like steady myself. I yeah. couldn't join in with the celebrations because my entire body was overcome yeah. with adrenaline. And that's something you know that is, is a very rare experience. And as you say, because yeah. the things are still in play, and that that result means that there's still something to hope for as well. And can I just say as well, the Bernabeu. We, we all saw a game there and the atmosphere was, was good. It was fine. It certainly isn't in this conversation. But there is that feeling when you walk in there, mm. you're like, I want to play for Real Madrid. There's, there's, there's sort of the, get why the players are like that around the, 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 them. The, the pomp and ceremony to begin that Madrid derby was something. The atmosphere then kind of... But there's the ghosts that haunt that stadium. That's the thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's a yeah. certain amount, yeah. amount of this stuff with, with that a lot of moaning and groaning. Yeah, but I, I, just think, I just think when you're really walking into that, you know, regardless of what you think of Real Madrid and their, their checkered past... When you're walking into a stadium or any stadium with that amount of history, it does mean something. Like you can, you can feel it, and that's part of the attraction of it. Yeah, I do. But agree it's not, with that. I mean, it's no home game against Bournemouth. I agree. No. But I mean, <laughs> <laughs> gentlemen, we were going to have a, 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 a very positive refereeing story from from Norway, but I think I think we need to give people their Saturday mornings back. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it next time. We'll get yeah, to it next yeah. time. We, we, Live we, and kicking's about to start. <laughs> 
<laughs> or going live, as I still call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, thank you so much for everybody for uh, getting involved in the mailbag. We really, really appreciate it. And thanks for listening, of course. We will be back uh, with another one of these in two weeks' time. So do get in touch. Remember to tweet us on X at Football Ramble. Message us on Instagram at Football Ramble. And of course, email us show at footballramble.com. Join us on Monday and don't forget to subscribe on your podcast app. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. Thank you, Vish. Thank you. And thank you once again. The Football Ramble is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.